0: Take your Bibles out and turn with me, if you would please, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we want to cover this morning the subject matter, the demands of discipleship. Uh, Let me ask you to raise your hands if you have read the book by David Platt Radical. Anybody in here? Number of hands going up? Yes. How about the follow-up to that? Follow me by Platt. Okay, well that's what we're going to begin covering next Sunday night. Folks, you don't want to miss the Sunday night series beginning next Sunday night. Uh, the book, Follow Me, probably one of the most significant books I've ever read in my life. You get into it, you just can't put it down. Uh, finally, about 1 o'clock this morning, I made myself have to, you know, put it down. But uh, it's, it's just a tremendous challenge uh, to believers today. And we're going to begin studying that, that book and that series. Next Sunday night there is a study guide uh, in the lobby of the sanctuary for you to purchase today that you can get the most out of your uh, weekly devotions as we gather here on Sunday nights and we watch the video by, by David Platt, uh, the teaching time, the group discussions. And so we want to challenge you to be a part of that Uh, could be a life-changing study uh, for many people. And today I kind of want to set the table for that series uh, with Luke chapter 9. And so if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in verse 18. Luke says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised." And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Father, speak to us through your word today. Your word is truth. As Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. Sanctify us with your truth. Lord, we thank you for the the honesty of the Word of God in telling us what we need to know. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church through this passage. We live in such a a day that's casual when it comes to your Word. Lord, we're after so many of the wrong things in life. Forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would penetrate our hearts and minds with these words of the Lord Jesus. And that they would indeed change our lives and the pattern of our discipleship. And God grant it that we might impact many others around us for the sake of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If I were to ask you the question this morning, what is a Christian? What are some of the things that you might say in response to that? Well, interestingly enough, I'd like to read a letter to you, a letter that comes out of the second century AD. And it is a writer who is not a believer himself, but he is commenting on the lives of believers. In the letter to Diognetus, which dates back to the 2nd century A.D., an anonymous writer describes a strange people who are in this world, but not of this world. He writes, Christians are not differentiated from other people by country language or customs. You see, they do not live in cities of their own or speak some strange dialect. They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing, food, and the other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. Every foreign country is to them as their native country and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everybody else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are passing their days on earth, but are living as citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and even go beyond the laws of the land in their own lives. They love everyone, but are at the same time persecuted by all. They are put to death and yet gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and they bless in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully toward others. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and are persecuted by Greeks, yet those who hate them cannot really give a single reason for their hostility. Folks, what a powerful testimony about the lives of the early Christians. Now if I were to ask you this morning, what is a Christian? What does a Christian look like? How does he or she live his life? How do they act? What do they do? What would you say this morning to that question? What is a Christian? If we were to go out on the streets of Concord this morning and ask that question, the answers would be varied. Some would say, "Well, believe it or, well, Christians love their neighbor as their self, or they they live by the the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule, any number of answers that the world might give, but you know it really doesn't matter what people say in things like opinion polls. Opinion polls might be fine in and of themselves when it comes to discovering." what the current culture might think about a particular issue, but opinion polls cannot define anything. How did he define being a Christian? What did Jesus say about being a disciple? And are those two different things? Is a Christian being one thing while being a disciple is something entirely different? We tend to say yes. We tend to say being a Christian is just for the average run-of-the-mill sort of fellow, but being a disciple, on the other hand, is for the type of person who may wish to sell everything and go with his family to the mission field. Does the New Testament make a distinction? Does Jesus make a distinction? I think we would find the answer to those questions to be a resounding no. Jesus calls us to discipleship whatever that happens to mean. And for one person it may mean being a faithful witness in small ways that are presented to him every day. But for another person it might mean the mission field. We've got to remember that as Christ said, some people are five talent type people, some two talent and some one talent. But I think you would find the call itself To be one and the same for everybody. It's the call to self-surrender wherever that ends up leading you in your life. And so the fleshing out of the call might be different for everybody. But the call in and of itself is one and the same. A Christian is a Christ follower. Now what would happen if the world saw us living the way Jesus described? I think of Nietzsche, the German philosopher who was really the philosophical founder behind the Nazi movement. He was the first man to make the statement in history that God is dead. He came to that conclusion not by looking at the life of the Lord Jesus, but by looking at the life of the church. You know what Nietzsche said? Nietzsche said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, then you've got to start looking a little more redeemed. We've made Christianity mean just about anything and everything, and consequently it means almost nothing today. And the standards and expectations have been so lowered that we come very close at times to making people feel as though they can become a Christian and nothing has to really change in their life. I want you to listen to the words of David Platt concerning his book, Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Uh, In a later blog that he wrote about the book, here's what Platt writes. He said, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice middle class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away anything that we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe upon our personal comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid any dangerous extremes and who for that matter wants us to avoid danger and risk altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. But is that what Jesus said? Let's look at that today and what we're going to see is the radical way in in which Jesus described what being a follower of his really involves. First thing I want you to see with me today is biblical Christianity involves a level of self-denial. Biblical Christianity involves a level of self-denial. There in verse 23, he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It was not unusual for large crowds to follow the Lord Jesus. We've all read those passages in the Gospels where the crowds would be so numerous that would be following the Lord Jesus that on one occasion he had to get in a little boat and push off from the shoreline because the multitude was pressing in on him uh, so hard. There were so many people there. And if you ever noticed on occasions like that, Jesus would turn to the multitude and he would give one of his hard sayings. It's like he would throw up roadblocks or hurdles. And what he would do by, by doing that is try to turn away some of those that just wanted an easy, quick fix. The easy believism that we call it today. And Jesus would turn around and he would say something that would turn those people off and they would walk away. Jesus was famous for doing something of that nature because most oftentimes the multitudes misunderstood him. They followed him for all the wrong reasons. They wanted selfish things out of the Lord Jesus. And so he would stop and clarify the meaning of what it is to be a Christian. Because he never called anybody under false pretenses. Nobody could ever say Jesus got me into something that I didn't know what I was bargaining for. In fact, look at what he says at the end of of Luke chapter 9. In verse 57 says, They were going along the road and someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now what scholars agree on that, that this man is saying is, Lord, let me go and be with my parents until they live out their life. Might be 10 years, might be 25 years from now. Let me take care of all of my family responsibilities and obligations. And one of these days when all of my obligations are said and done and my family's dead and gone, then I'll come and follow you. And what Jesus say? Let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. Somebody else came up to him and said, Lord, I'll go with you wherever you go. And he said here that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks even to the right or the left is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There were times that Jesus wanted us to understand being a Christian is difficult. You see, Jesus wasn't some bait-and-switch salesman. He never tried to sell the kingdom of God. He was not like too many so-called evangelists today that promise that if you'll only surrender your life to Jesus and pray this quick prayer, then He's going to give you every desire that you've ever had and He'll simply add a little bit of high-octane fuel to whatever it is that you want to do in your life anyway. It's almost the idea of comparing your life to baking a cake. Go ahead and bake whatever kind of cake you want. Put in whatever kind of ingredients you desire. And then at the end, just add a little bit of Jesus. He'll be like a little layer of icing that you add to whatever it is you want to do with your life. Way too many invitations like that given today. Way too many invitations that appeal to the flesh. Bait and switch type things. You know what I think of? I think of the humorous story uh, told by a pastor out of Texas. He says once there was a dairy farmer who went to buy a new pickup truck. He had seen an ad in the paper about discounts and family rebates and so he decided it was time to trade in his old clunker. He chose a new model and he sat down at the salesman's desk and he was ready to write the check. And the salesman said, sir, you haven't heard the price yet. He said, sure I have. I've been watching your ads on this, on this truck for days now. And the salesman said, no, sir, you don't understand. Yes, that's this truck that's been being advertised, but not really. You see, that ad's just the, the ad for a basic stripped-down truck. But this truck has a whole lot more to it than that. When you add in this and add in this and add in this, this is the price now and it was thousands of dollars more and the farmer was shocked but he needed a new truck so he bit the bullet and wrote the check out. Well a few months later the salesman called the farmer because he wanted to buy a cow for his son's 4-H project. The farmer assured the salesman that he had a number of good basic milk milk cows for $500. Come and pick out one. When the salesman went to see him and he liked the cow, he sat down to write out a check for $500. and And the farmer said, wait a minute, sir, I haven't told you the final price yet. The salesman said, I thought you said on the phone $500. And the farmer said, yeah, I did, but that's just the basic model. That's not the cow that your son's group needs. The new price is $1,223 and the salesman about swallowed his teeth. He said, that's more than twice. He said, I know, but again, you get more than the basic model. Because with this milk cow, you get the following, for example. You get a two-toned ex- exterior. Exterior. extra large milk storage, extra stomach, straw recycling compartment, four handy faucets, (laughs) leather upholstery, dual horns, an automatic fly swatter, and an automatic fertilizer attachment. Folks, Jesus was no bait and switch salesman. He wanted people to know up front the cost of following him. And that's what he's doing here. I want you to think with me about the context if we were to look back to the previous verses we would see in verse 22 that Jesus was telling his disciples I'm going to Jerusalem and when I get to Jerusalem I'm going to be arrested I'm going to be mocked and rejected I'm going to be put on trial and finally I'm going to be crucified but on the third day I will rise again. You remember what Simon Peter said, Lord, that is never going to happen to you. We won't allow that. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you are not minding the things of God, but rather the things of man. And this is when he tells them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. John MacArthur refers to this as the diamond of all of Jesus' teachings on what it means to be a Christian. He said all the other teachings are like the goal setting that the diamond sits in. But when you read this passage and what it is that Jesus is asking of each of us, this is the diamond of what it means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And what did he say? He said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. Now, folks, I can assure you that is not what man wants to hear today. Man hasn't ever wanted to hear that. Because it goes against his grain at the very core of his being. But if you stop and think about it, self is the problem. What does Isaiah 53 say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, Romans, the book of Romans goes on to say there is none righteous, there is none good, no, not even one. You want to know the problem with my life? It's me. The problem with your life? It's you. Self is the issue. Self is the problem. And Jesus said we've got to deny ourselves. That's what Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you can be like God. Eat of this fruit and your eyes will be open. And boy, that sounded good. You mean I can be like God? I can make all of my own decisions? I can be my own man? I can be my own woman? I can do my own thing? I can be my own God? That sounds pretty good. And man sinned. And we've continued to do so. We still do so today. We get up, we go about our day, we want to make our own decisions, we want to live life our way. But Jesus said, if we're going to be His disciples and follow Him, we've got to do the exact opposite. We've got to say no to self, we've got to die to self. You might say it like this, the Christian life begins with a funeral. Now what all is involved in denying self? Denying self means surrendering control. Now for many Christians, denying self is so misunderstood. You know, I think of something that's about to happen on the church calendar this spring. Now don't misunderstand. I I am not trying to make fun of anybody else's church tradition. That is not my purpose at all. And some who do what I'm about to say, they're very well-meaning and very sincere. But it's the superficial things I'm taking issue with. We're about to enter into a time of the church calendar that many denominations call Lent. Forty days out from Easter. And beginning there on Ash Wednesday, what will many believers do? They'll make a commitment that during Lent, they're going to deny themselves something. And you hear some of them talk, and what does it become? Well, preacher, this season of Lent, I'm going to give up 16-ounce Coca-Cola's and I'm going to move to the 12-ounce Coca-Cola instead. I'm going to give up M&M's. Won't Jesus be impressed how I'm following him because I'm denying myself. I'm giving up M&M's. Or I'm giving up caffeine. Or I'm giving up this or that. And it becomes such a trivial little superstitious thing. Sometimes it almost borderlines on the ridiculous. Is that what Jesus meant? When he said, if you're going to come after me, let a man deny himself. Is is that what Jesus meant? Giving up your M&Ms during Lent? I don't think so. He's talking about the surrender of your total being. I like what Dr. Danny Aiken says, President of Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest. He says it this way, Give up the right to self-determination. Live as Christ directs. Treasure and value Jesus more than yourself. Treasure and value Jesus more than your plans, more than your comforts, more than your goals, more than your aspirations. Put to death the idol of self. Now that sounds big, sounds demanding, and it is. But we've got to remember what Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you. Folks, Christianity is all about Jesus being more than just a Savior offering a quick fire insurance policy. While you and I continue to live any old way that we want to live, Christianity also involves Jesus Christ being our Lord. He's our Savior, but He never intended uh, to just give me salvation so then I could jet off and live any old way I want to live and do whatever I want to do. The Bible tells me that I have been bought with a price. I don't even belong to myself anymore, and therefore I'm to glorify God in my body. It all begins when you deny yourself in salvation, the beginning of the Christian journey. At that point in time, you're saying no to yourself in the sense that there's absolutely nothing that I can bring to the table to justify myself in the sight of God. I'm spiritually bankrupt. Salvation is not about what Jesus plus myself does. It is a gift. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. It is that self-surrender of coming to the foot of the cross, coming to the Lord Jesus, realizing that I have nothing to give, I have nothing to contribute. What modern man want to do there? He wants to think that in some way or another, he deserves it. In some way or another, even if some small way, God can be a debtor to him. It doesn't work that way. We surrender. We deny self in coming to him. And then guess what? Daily We continue on living and growing in our Christian life the same way. That same kind of denial is to continue. And that means a whole lot more than simply denying myself ice cream or red meat. It means that at the core of our being we deny that we can save ourselves. We deny that we know best. We, we deny that we can't live the Christian life apart from Christ. It is him living his life through me. I deny myself daily and follow him. I think of Abraham in Genesis 12. God said to Abram, get up from where you are, your father's country and family. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham did that. Think of the journey of faith stepping out almost in the darkness, so to speak. He just knew that step and yet he surrendered. He, he denied self and what he might have wanted. Boy, it would have been a whole lot better, a whole lot easier from man's standpoint of view to live there in his father's land, the land that he knew among a people that he knew. But God called him to step out in faith, to take a journey of faith, go where God was going to show him to go. And even when God in Genesis 22 asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, What did Abraham do next? He was ready to do it. That's self-denial. And Jesus is calling each one of us today to that kind of life. What's the second thing that he mentions here? The fact that biblical Christianity involves a death while I live. He says, deny self and pick up your cross. Each one of us has a cross to carry. Now, don't equate your cross or my cross with the cross of Jesus. Jesus' cross was the only cross that accomplished the redemption of the world. My cross doesn't accomplish the redemption of the world. But nonetheless, I've got a cross to carry. And a cross was a symbol of death. Jesus used a lot of word pictures, a lot of symbols in his teaching. Why? Because they're so powerful. They communicate. He said... Take my yoke upon you. What was a yoke? Everybody knew what a yoke was. A yoke was that that wooden frame, that instrument that they would put over the shoulders uh, of two oxen, for example. So they would plow together out in a field. And Jesus is saying, let me put my yoke upon you and learn from me. Hitch your life to my life. That was one symbol. Another symbol, what we see here, the cross. The cross. What's the cross symbolize? Symbolizes death. What Jesus is emphasizing here is the extent of the denial that he's just mentioned. Folks, he's not talking about a temporary denial. And he's not talking about a superficial denial. He's talking about something that is profound, irreversible, and ongoing. You die to self. It's permanent and it's daily. To me, I think one of the most tragic stories in all of the Bible is that found in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a great letter of discipleship, an older man shepherding a younger man to take over his ministry. Paul writing to Timothy and passing the baton. But remember what Paul said to Timothy in chapter 4? He said, Deem us, deem us who, who was with us. Loving this present world more has turned back to the world. That's tragic, isn't it? That tells me Demas didn't really deny himself and pick up his cross. Folks, if we live that kind of life, the life of a Demas, then we show that we haven't really understood Christianity to begin with. I don't think it's that Demas had it and lost it. Demas never had it. Because true faith perseveres and bears fruit. Jesus said, you got to take up your cross. I think of the story related to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Etched in black granite, the black granite wall there, are the names of over 58 thousand Americans who died in the Vietnam War since the memorial opened in 1982 the monument has stirred deep emotion some visitors walk by it very slowly Uh, others rush by others pause and stop and, and and put their finger on names of sons or grandsons or family members that were lost in that in that war For three Vietnam veterans, Robert Bedker, William Craig, Daryl losh a visit to the memorial must be especially touching though because they can walk up to the wall and find their own names carved into the stone. You see, because of data coding errors, each of them was listed as being killed in action. They're dead, but they're alive. Perfect analogy of the Christian life, isn't it? Dead and yet we live. I think of what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives through me. Because the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead And yet I live. Folks, that's the Christian life. I think of one of the modern day heroes of our faith. It'd have to be Jim Elliot. On January the 8th, 1956, he and three other men were attacked and killed by the Aka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. Now their stories continue to be told even today in American film and books. Although it was a tragedy, Jim was ready to die. Listen to what Jim Elliot wrote in his journal. He said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And he went on to say, he is no fool to give up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. But folks if you said Jim Elliot died in the jungles of South America you'd be mistaken You see Jim Elliot died essentially before he ever got there Amen He died before he ever got there and that's what one of their friends, by the way, confessed, who, who knew Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the others. He said, listen, I was in that church service months and months ago when they died there at the altar. And they said, God, whether we live or die, we're going to be missionaries in your name. He said, that's where they died, at that altar, not in the jungle. That's the Christian life. We've got a cross to carry. Now, folks, we trivialize that today too, don't we? Somebody says, Preacher, my, my, my kids, I'm, I'm, my neighbor's kids keep riding their bicycle through my yard and I can't get them to stop. I guess that's just the cross that I've got to bear at this time in my life. Don't trivialize the cross like that. A third thing, biblical Christianity involves a dedication to God's purposes. Follow what Jesus is saying here. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and then do what? Follow me. Follow me. After surrendering everything that we are and everything that we have to the Lord, then we've got to follow him. You see folks, we can we can deny ourselves for any cause, we can die for any cause. In fact, people do it every day. They die for country, they die for family, they die for any cause that they deem significant to them. I'll never forget an interview. I can't get the interview out of my mind. I I wish I could remember the guy's name though. It was a sports interview I saw probably 20 years ago. The sportscaster was interviewing one of the Chicago Bears football players. He was a football player who had suffered a lot of head injuries, back surgeries, knee surgeries... I mean, he had really been banged up in the game. And his doctors were telling him, we fixed you up this last time and put you back together. If you get back out there on the field playing football, get even one more injury, one more hit, you may be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. You may be paralyzed from the neck down rest of your life the interviewer asked him about that he said I don't care I love the game so much I'm going to take the chance I'm going to get back out there and play even if I'm paralyzed for the rest of my life I thought wow you see people deny themselves every day for various things that they deem interesting or worthy of them But Jesus is saying, do it for me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Think of what those first disciples did. James and John, they left their father's boat and nets and they followed Jesus. Matthew left the tax collector's booth, followed Christ. The call of Christ altered everything in their life. It would be the modern day equivalent of say a banker going to the mission field. If that's what Jesus calls you to do, you do it. That's following Him, whatever the fleshing out of that call means in your life. It may not mean something like that, but it may mean something like that. Are you willing to do that? Are you surrendered to that? Paul says in Romans 12, too, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your lives a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to Him, which is your spiritual act of worship, a living sacrifice every day. Somebody said, you know what, it's like we're to roll out of the bed and up on the altar every day. Are we doing that? In Romans 6, Paul said, you know, there was a day in your life that you presented the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness now that you're a believer in following Christ present the members of your body every day as members of righteousness and as you do so be on on guard against any of the corruption of the flesh wants to creep back in we still deal with that old man don't we you see, the unbeliever only has the one nature, the, the fleshly nature that's dead to God. The believer has two natures, spirit and flesh nature. One of these days we'll be with the Lord and that, that flesh corrupt nature will be gone. But a believer has two natures. Every day we, that, that old nature wants to come back. it? Kind of like a Haitian pastor described. He had a house for sale, $2,000 home in Haiti. Somebody wanted to buy it, couldn't afford it. He said, i tell you what, I'll make you a deal, make it to where you can afford it. you got to allow one thing, though. This peg that I've nailed into this wall, this peg right here and whatever it hangs on becomes perpetually mine even though you own the house. The new owner said, okay, I'll, I'll buy the house under that condition. A couple years went by, the original owner wanted it back. The new owner said, no. I'm not selling it back. The original owner went out and killed a dog. Took the the dead carcass of the dog and hung it there on that peg. Finally the stink and corrosion got so bad. The family living there had to move out. As you follow Christ, are there any of those old pegs with dead things on them you need to deal with and give up? Follow Jesus. Crawl out of the bed and up on the altar. Last thing. I want you to see in verse 26, biblical Christianity involves a declaration. Look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. Following Jesus involves a public stand. The cross was public. Discipleship's got to be public. Folks, if you think about it, the most significant things in our lives are public. Graduations, birthdays, weddings. Jesus has got to be public. But are you ashamed of it? How about when at school or at the office, everybody is making fun of what the Bible stands for? Do you speak up? What about when there's no other Christian in the room and everybody's laughing at Christians? Do you speak up? Are you ashamed of being identified with God in biblical issues? We live in a day, think about it, we live in a day and age when just about every social issue out there is going the opposite direction of what the Bible teaches. What about when everybody in the classroom, everybody in the office, or everybody at the neighborhood block party goes along with the modern day polls in a moment like that? Are you ashamed of Christ and His Word? Folks, as we close today, I want you to see that in these verses we're looking at, we've got to rise above what the world sees as Christianity. It's not a question of simply how do you define Christianity or how do I define it or how does our culture define it. The question is what does Christ say? What does the Bible teach? You see, you and I don't have a vote here. We don't get a vote. I don't get a vote and you don't get a vote. This is not a democracy we're talking about here God lays down the terms of what it means to be a Christian. Now, you and I can reject that, but we can't redefine it. We reject it, but you can't redefine it. Jesus is the one who defined it. I want to ask you this morning, bow your heads in prayer with me. Have you settled the issue of who's going to be in charge of your life? Have you settled that issue? Who's going to be in charge of your life? Have you settled the issue of which Jesus you're going to follow? You said, I thought there's just one. Oh, no. Listen to some of the voices in the world today. There are many Jesuses out there. There's only one biblical Jesus. Which Jesus are you following? Are you trying to follow the one that lets you define all the terms to your liking? That's not the New Testament Jesus. Which Jesus are you following? Have you declared your allegiance to Him even when it is uncomfortable to do so? Does everybody around you know where you stand? Are you following Christ? Who are you following? What are you doing? Lord speak to us today as only your Holy Spirit can. And God I pray that like you did with Lydia in Acts 16 that you might open somebody's heart to believe. And Lord that you would add to your church. And help each of us As those who have made these commitments, reflect on where we are in that process. Are we following you on your terms or have we tried to rewrite the book? Lord, deal with us. Deal with us in your kindness, your mercy, your love. Bring about the change and conviction that you desire.